Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Do you find it difficult to live godly when everyone around you is not? You're not alone, and it's not a new problem. Over 2,500 years ago, a teenager was forced to live in exile in one of the most ungodly cultures the earth has ever seen. Despite the challenges and persecution, he found a way to honor God in everything he did. His example is still powerful for us today. Join us now for a six-part series on Daniel as we learn to live life in exile. All right, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Welcome to Grace Life once again. So good to see you guys. We are in a series uh, through the book of Daniel. Today is part five. And the, the idea throughout this whole series, if you've been here for any of it, is learning to live as a minority in exile. And, and we're learning this from Daniel because he was physically carried away from his home country into another foreign kingdom where he had to live uh, among other people in exile. And the idea, though, is if we are Christians, if our home is the kingdom of God, then when we live upon the earth surrounded by post-Christian cultures who make their decisions and base their values upon things different from the word of God, that we too live as a minority in exile. So that was your 30-second uh, synopsis. If you want to hear more of that, go online and catch uh, the beginning of the series where we talked more about that. So we, though, think this series is a little more important than just something we want to say we did and it's behind us. We don't want to just do one of these things where it's like, hey, do y'all remember, you know, like last year and we talked about Daniel for a while? Yeah, you know, that was all right. That was pretty good kind of stuff. And we don't want to just toss this away because the idea of waking up every day and realizing that we have to make a choice about who we're going to be and how we're going to live our lives, this is really kind of a series for life. This is something that should never just be left behind and, and, and put away on a shelf. So we've come up with some things to help you. And so on your seat when you came in, you hopefully moved this out of the way. If not, you're sitting on one. You need to stand up. Uh, this is a sticker. That's all it is. It's just a sticker, but it's got a, a picture of a, a lion's head because, you know, Daniel is always associated with a lion, and you can see there the words, choose who you will be. It's kind of the theme for our series. Stick it on a computer. Stick it on your desk at work. Put it on a mirror where you get dressed at home. And just remind yourself every day, today is a day where I'm going to choose who I will be. Because the world wants to choose that for me. The culture around me wants to determine that for me. So the stickers are free. They're for every one of you. But we went one step further for a select number of you, whoever that is. And we decided to print some really cool t-shirts. Y'all check this out. We've been dropping them like Easter eggs, if y'all haven't noticed. How many, by the way, if y'all don't know what I just said, go ask somebody under 30 what an Easter egg is. But they've been showing up on Instagram posts, and you notice Chris was wearing one when he spoke on communion. Brett had one hidden behind his guitar, so there's kind of been popping around. Uh, and so we only printed a very select few because we don't want to have t-shirts left over after next week. Well, they were so popular, we sold out. Now, here's the thing, though. I love my third service people because there are no seats left in the second service at all. Don't come earlier in the day. That would not be good for you. So we definitely don't want to punish you for coming to the best service, right? The best. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to order shirts if you want them, but you got to act like you just bought them. Okay, so go to the white tent, which is where we had shirts. Go to the white tent. You've got to put down your name and your $5. They're only 5 bucks. How cool is that? And we will do an order only for people who want them, pre-order. Other than that, next week there will be none. So, y'all good with that? Yeah. All right, so let's uh, go into it. We're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 today, which I know is a long section. So we're not going to read every single word of it, but we're looking at two different kings today. 
and, and how Daniel interacted with them because we're actually going to finally see the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's the king of Babylon, the greatest empire on the earth at the time, and going to move over to one of his successors, a couple of kings removed. And we're going to see what God says to these two kings, how they each respond, and what we can maybe get from that. Because it turns out God took these two kings and he warned them about how to live their lives. Anybody ever been warned by God about something? I'm one of those people, I can tell you, there was an instance in my life where I think it was audible. It was so close to audible, if it wasn't, I will still remember it as though it was. When I was in college, there was this girl in one of my classes, she was actually in the band with me, and make it worse, she was in my section in the band, which meant I was around her all the time, and, and she, she liked me, and she was pretty. And guys, come on, those two things don't always happen at the same time, Right? <laughs> I mean, you got to like jump on this when you can, right? So, and, and so as we started talking to each other and decided we'd go out on a date, I heard God say something to me that normally he had never said. And he said, don't touch her. I thought, wow, don't touch her. Now look, here's the reality. Okay, teenagers, we've got teenagers in the room and we talked about this story when we began. Daniel was like 14 or 15 years old in chapter one when he was first taken into exile. And so as a teenager, we shouldn't have to be told. We kind of already know not to touch, right? We already know that until you get married, every person you meet is a brother or sister in Christ potentially or someone else's future husband or wife. We shouldn't have to be told things we already know. Come on, teenagers, you with me on this? But unfortunately, we don't always do exactly as we know. And so God, in his extreme graciousness, decided to take it one step further and say, don't touch her. And the reason for this, teenagers, if you don't already know, when you begin to make a relationship more than just friends, you get connected at a higher level. And, and so something could come out of that. And God knew something I didn't know. So when God says, don't touch her, I'm going, okay, because I've not heard those kind of words often, so just not going to mess around with that. And of course, that relationship didn't last long, which is for free, by the way. If that's the only way to make a relationship last, you don't need it, okay? But so here's what happened. You see, I couldn't tell you then what God knew about the future. What God knew was that I was called to do this for my life. I was called to preach God's word, to teach people how to honor God with their lives. And what God also knew that I did not know is that she would someday become a self-declared pagan witch. Yes, she is today. And had I not heeded God's warning, and had God not been so gracious as to tell me what I should have already known. Now think about this in your own life. We, we do this with God. We're like the kids. The parents can relate to me. We're like the kids. When the parents are, look at them and the, you know, you're sitting down, you're watching TV, you got the remote, and you got a toddler over there getting ready to touch something on the table, and you say, don't touch that. And here's what we do with God. We're like, Yeah, come on, y'all seen kids do it. Yeah, and we do the same thing with God. The problem is it's a very dangerous game we play with God when God is saying, yeah, not a good idea because here's what I know. God expects us to learn from what we see, right? Young siblings, you should have learned from your older sibling when they went, okay. God expects us to learn from what we see. God expects us to act based upon what we know. And God most definitely expects us to respond to what he says. So again, we're going to look at two kings today and how they struggle to do those two things. We're in chapter four. Now, if you've been here for the series, you know, we've basically just been reading straight through it. 
And the reason that we do that, because that's kind of not normal for us to read straight through an entire chapter in one day, is because I know that the Old Testament is not something we all read all the time. I know that some of us are new to church and new to God and new to following. And so we just want to help kind of make this story relevant and bring it home to everybody. Matter of fact, if I were to ask, what do you know about Daniel? Some of us only know Daniel got thrown in a lion's den and his friends got thrown in a furnace. And that's about it. So we've been just kind of reading it to make ourselves familiar with it. But because it is so long today, we're going to jump around a little bit. Everybody say, thank you, Jimmy. All right, here we go. So we're going to start chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to get two chapters done today, though. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's making a declaration. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then the rest of chapter 4, he's going to tell us the story of what God did in his life and brought him to this revelation And then he's going to wrap back up chapter 4 with ending back in this place. It's really important at this point we understand what has just happened. Because when you read your Bible, it looks like King Nebuchadnezzar just converted over to faith as as a Christian. It wouldn't have been a Christian back then, but as an an Israelite, as a Jew, worshiping Yahweh, right? That's kind of how it looks. But if we look at history, we know that never happened. We know the Babylonians did not tear down their temples and, and rebuild with, with uh, temples of the Jewish God, that they did not change the way that they worshipped. And so in order for us to be able to trust our Bible, I want to help you understand what really happened right here. King Nebuchadnezzar at this point has his gods. Every other people have their gods. The Israelites are the only people that had just one god And people simply recognized, I got my gods, you got your gods. It's just kind of how this is, right? And so if we go into battle and my gods win today, then my God is the best God today. And if your God wins the next time, then your God is the supreme God that day. And it's a little like we treat the Super Bowl. We go into, okay, my God makes the Super Bowl, your God makes the Super Bowl, but you win. Okay, your God gets the trophy. Today, your God is the most high team. You're the winner, but next year we're going to come and take that trophy away. Just because your God won the Super Bowl today doesn't mean I'm going to burn all my jerseys, right? Does that make sense? And so what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying is like, I don't understand what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I don't understand all the things that God has done in my life. So I'm just starting to recognize there might be another great God besides mine. And there are several times where he will actually call him the Most High God. So what he's probably doing more than anything is adding another God to his list. He's got a lot of gods. He's adding one to his list. Does that make sense for everybody? So here we go, Nebuchadnezzar. Now he says, I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. Second time in the book of Daniel that we see Nebuchadnezzar have a dream. Again, for the sake of time today, I'm going to shorten this down for you. His dream was of a great tree, and the tree rose up all the way to heaven, and the tree was seen from anywhere on the earth. So all the peoples of the earth saw the greatness of this tree, and the tree was very great. That seemed like a good dream, except it kept going. And an angel came from heaven and said, cut it down. (laughs) Now not such a good dream anymore. And leave nothing but the stump, and the stump was bound with some iron and bronze and some other things for a season of time. And so 
King Nebuchadnezzar. He wants to find out what's going on. He calls in all of his magicians, his dream interpreters and everything else. Nobody has an answer. So once again, like we've seen earlier in the book of Daniel, he calls Daniel. Can you interpret this for me? Here's Daniel's answer. We're picking up in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. Don't you love Daniel constantly reminds him, my God's better than your God? It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Unfortunately, King Nebuchadnezzar did not heed what God spoke through Daniel and so we go on and it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. 12 months? At the end of 12 months, did he get away with this for 12? Yes. And we do the same thing, don't we? We will do something with a little bit of fear and trembling, especially when we're young. Come on, teenagers, pay attention today. When we're young, we do all those. Our mom told us not to. We know, we know God tells us not to. And we do it. And, and the next day, we're still alive. We didn't get struck with lightning. We're like, oh. I can do this. God's not paying very close attention to what's going on down here. And the next thing you know, you're doing a little more and, and a month goes by and three months goes by and six months goes You eventually get to a point you think you've beaten God. You get to where you, you can stop looking over your shoulder. You think you got it. No, you don't. You know, you don't watch this. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Now look, if you don't know how the story goes, who wants to take bets on how it's about to turn out? <laughs> Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and things came against him as was predicted. He, what we would describe as lost his mental faculties, he acted and lived basically as an animal for a season and time until he came to discover that he was not the great king, but he served a great king, right? And at that point, everything was restored to him. Now I want you to hold that as a subplot of a bigger story because it rolls right on into the second king, and his name is Belshazzar, this is probably at least the third successor to Nebuchadnezzar. So it calls him his father, but it wasn't. That's what they would say to anyone who is in a line of kings. He might have been like a grandson or just a successor of the throne. So catching you up there. So we're flipping over to chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar is going to have a party. He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, said, whoa. This is better than the normal stuff. This requires something special. So he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. Did y'all follow that? That they would be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Are you kidding me? So let me, let me explain this. So in, the, in Judah, in Israel, in the temple, they had created these, these chalices and these goblets and they had dedicated them for use in the temple only. 
And no one in the Israelites, the Jewish people, would never dare to touch these. These things were sacred. They were dedicated to the one true God of heaven. And Belshazzar said, let me have a party. Oh, man, this is so good. Hey, bring their stuff dedicated to their God. I'm going to drink out of it to prove to them their God is not God. My gods are God. Matter of fact, they declare that the gods are the gods of the metal that these things are made out of. (laughs) Not a good idea. So here's what happened. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. For the record, there is not a body attached to this hand. I mean, it is October, Halloween's coming, so if y'all imagine, we're just going to fast forward a haunted house experience here just a little bit. The difference is he didn't know it was coming. Homeboy's just sitting around, got a thousand friends, has decided to take God's sacred ornaments out of his his house and to drink out of them and to to praise the metal so the hand starts writing on the wall and then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together you think what would you do if a hand not attached to a body started writing on your wall in the middle of dinner and the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters the chaldeans the astrologers and everybody else and said what does this mean what does this mean? They couldn't answer. And so here we go. Someone comes to save today in verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. Now, men, let me just, we need to learn a little something from this. Did you notice he had a big party with a thousand of his friends and the queen wasn't invited? Not a good idea, okay? Take your wife out to dinner. All right. And so the queen came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel, are y'all following this? Do you remember we did a week talking about how they tried to change their names and somehow Daniel just kind of refused to go by his pagan name that denounced God and he's determined to stick with his name? I mean, here it is. Daniel is 80 years old now. 80 years old. We're talking about 65 years after chapter one and they still can't get the name to stick. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, this is awesome. You are that, Daniel. Wow. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I'm going to give you a little snapshot into where we're headed next week on this. This is about the power of reputation. You see, it is, it is challenging enough to earn a reputation as being a godly person, isn't it? I mean, come on, teenagers, to be known as the kid who, who is, is in high school and loves Jesus and honors God with your choices, that's hard. And to get into college and still be known as the person who honors God and, and makes godly choices. And then when you get out and you get a career and you're in sales and you're challenged to be a little deceptive in what you say in order to sell a certain product. And yet you don't make that choice and it gets harder and it's harder and it's harder. It's hard enough to earn a reputation as a godly person, but to keep it, 
until you're 80. Throughout a succession of kings in a foreign land where nothing around you is godly. The power of reputation. Powerful. And so he says to Daniel, but I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make, to, make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Pay attention to Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Whoa. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. You do realize this, this is not Daniel's normal response. We've even talked about how Daniel is always honoring to the king in order to win influence with them. It seems like he's jaded. Maybe he just doesn't like this king. Actually, I don't think either of those are the case. I'm pretty sure he probably didn't like any of the kings. After all, they made him a prisoner, right? So here's the difference. is Daniel knows, verse 30, you and I don't know yet. He knows what he's about to say to the king. He knows what's about to happen tonight. And he's not too worried about this guy's promises because they're not going to last very long. He says, O king... Here he goes again, the most high God, not your God, my God, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of man and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until, until, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled her heart have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You watched this. You've been raised on the stories of what the Most High God has done. You've seen every bit of this, and what did you do? But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. The priest wouldn't even have done that. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see, hear, or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. I think we need to pause and ask, what do we learn from this? Because we are way too similar to Belshazzar if we're going to be honest with ourselves. There is so much that we know. There is so much that we've seen our fathers do and our mothers do and our grandfathers do. We saw our bosses do. We saw someone else do. And, and, and they, they things didn't go well for them. And God is saying, you've heard from me what is right and the way to live. And though you know all this, and though we know all this, we presume upon the mercy of God. We think, well, just like that little kid, I know I shouldn't touch the table we presume that everything is going to work out. And, and here's the reason. If I could correct what I would refer to as some of our slightly errant Christian theology, because we know that as a Christian, we are forgiven. 
We are forgiven. We are going to heaven. Everything is paid for by the blood of Jesus. Is that true? Yes. Is that the best news ever? Yes. And here's the problem. We think that because everything is forgiven and we will have eternity with God, that God ignores today. We think that God doesn't care about what you do right now in your life. And we think that we can choose, I can go rob a bank because I'll be forgiven for it. That's not how that works. You may be forgiven and get into heaven, but that won't keep you out of prison here on earth. You see, God still deals with sin and God still deals with our rebellion. And we've got this idea that we can just ignore what we know to be right because we're forgiven. Okay, I'll give you this. If you're a believer, you are forgiven and heaven is your guarantee and that is awesome. But that's not to say you will not endure consequences from God's correction here on earth if we choose to live like one of these two kings. And so Daniel continues explaining So then from his presence, he was talking about God, right? Then from God's presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And you need to understand these were measurement words. They knew the words. It wasn't that they couldn't read. It wasn't that they didn't know the definition of the words. They had no understanding. You need to imagine it would be something similar like this happening. You are having dinner in your dining room, and suddenly a hand not attached to a body starts writing on the wall, inch, inch, yard, foot. It's not that you can't read the words, but you're a little freaked out. Why would a human hand not attached to a body write these measurement words on the wall? So Daniel, of course, is going to answer that. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene represented number. God has numbered. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar got a warning? King Nebuchadnezzar, please turn from your ways. Maybe, maybe. This guy is just getting a pronouncement from heaven. God has numbered, and twice, by the way, twice. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to hear that from God. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, here's what's funny. David, Daniel, Daniel's just having a moment here. Because the word on the wall is parson, but he says Perez, which is simply singular of the same word. So that didn't really matter, except that Perez sounded like Persians in Aramaic. So he's kind of like, this is what it means, and I could even tell you who's going to do it, do you? <laughs> he was just having a fun moment as a prophet. He gets to do that kind of stuff. Numbered. I mean, if you're a prophet, you've got to have fun with it. Numbered. Numbered. Weighed. Divided. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Here's what happened. This is where your history books line up. This is the fall of the Babylonian Empire. This is where they're conquered by the Medes and the Persians, the Persian being the greatest of that. So the true king at this time in the history of the world, you'll recognize as Cyrus, the king of Persia. We're going to read more about him next week and see more of him all throughout Scripture. But he had some sort of delegated ruler um, in an area, uh, said it was the king of the Chaldeans in chapter 9, and his name was Darius. Not a lot about him in history books, but... Nonetheless, he was there, so he had some responsibility. Daniel himself is about 80 years old when this event takes place. So what is our response to this? When we look at these two kings, what is our response? Well, we're going to come full circle with the series. What is the series called? What did we talk about in week two? What are we giving you stickers to remember? Our response is this. 
Choose. Choose who you will be. Now, the first time that we talked about this, though, what we were saying was around you as a culture trying to tell you who to be, and we're saying choose who you will be, and it was kind of open-ended. Today, though, we're going to talk about this in a different context. Choose who you will be because there are three role models in front of you, three role models. Which one are you going to pattern your life after? So the first one that we see, Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell you the hallmarks of Nebuchadnezzar's life. The first thing he did was ignored a warning. For whatever reason, God was gracious enough, like he was to me in college, to come and say, look, you should know, but I'm going to warn you anyway. I'm going to give you an extra warning. This is not a good idea. Turn from your ways. Unfortunately, he didn't. So the second hallmark of his life is that he was humbled greatly, meaning it might be better to use the word humiliation. He was humiliated. He went from being the greatest king of the greatest empire to completely losing his mental faculties to acting as an animal until God restored him, which brings us to our third point. He was restored mercifully. And this is where we get into trouble because we presume the same thing. We think, well, you know, we've heard the stories. All the teenagers are thinking, well, you know, you know, Jimmy gets up and he shares stories of his life of kind of how he made this mistake and, and you know, but then God redeemed it and somehow things get back on the track and, and all of this sort of stuff and, and we think that it'll be okay because we might just kind of go through an experience and, and then God will restore us and it's really kind of foolish. When I was a youth pastor, one of the most foolish things I ever heard from teenagers was, I want a testimony. I want to do some of the things that you do, that you, that you did, that you say as your testimony. I want a testimony. And it's just foolish. Teenagers, let me tell you, the best testimony is, I never. It's the best testimony. Because here's the thing. You think you can risk it. Oh, well, we'll just try this. It worked. You know, hey, my mom and dad, they had stories. They tried this in college, you know, and then God, they still love God. Here's the problem. King Nebuchadnezzar was not in control of the process of correction. He was not in in control of how much God was going to humble him. And he was not in control of whether or not God was going to restore him. So when you're like, I just think I'll try this for a testimony. No, you don't control the consequences. You don't. It is not wise to follow after him. Because here's the guarantee, if you want to know what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, he endured negative consequences until he knew he was not the one in charge. He endured this situation in his life for seven periods of time, whatever that turned out to be, for seven periods of time. He endured this until he knew that God was great. I deal with with us, I deal with us all the time. People come in, they sit down in my office, And you know, one thing I have really yet to encounter is anyone saying, really, God doesn't like that? I never knew. I mean, even people who didn't grow up in church, somehow when you say, yeah, so, you know, what do you think about that? What do you think God thinks about that? He'll say, yeah, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want me doing this. Somehow we seem to know what what God expects from us, and yet we go down the wrong path. We find ourselves in the middle of being humbled greatly. Did you catch I said the middle, not the end? And then you come to your pastor's office and say, please, please tell God to stop. And I just, I can't. You had a chance earlier. God warned. God warned. And God warned with with what you saw in your family's life. All you had to do was not choose that, but, but you did. And now I can't take away where you are and what you are going through. Because God is going to keep you here Not long enough for you to say this is bad, which is where you are, but long enough for you to say, okay, I surrender. You are the most high God. 
And God keeps us there until we figure that out. Not a good role model. We don't have to be like Nebuchadnezzar. How about number two, Belshazzar? Belshazzar, here's what he did. He ignored wisdom. Again, God didn't come to him with a warning and say, hey, let me tell you what you already know. No, no, God said, you already know. You watched Nebuchadnezzar. You were there for the stories. You heard the ones you didn't see personally. You saw this happen. You should have learned. You had wisdom. Remember what God's words were to him? They're going to put this on the screen for you. Though you knew, though you knew all this, you didn't do it. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Back to Belshazzar's three things. He ignored wisdom. He challenged God. I mean, that was when he's like, yeah, I don't care. I watched, I watched what God did to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar. I watched the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing. It was a childhood story I grew up on too, except it wasn't, it wasn't that old for me. It was like last week kind of thing, you know? I mean, yeah, I saw all this, and then I said, Come on, God, prove it. I'm going to drink out of your golden chalice right here. He challenged God, and then what happens? He paid greatly. He didn't get another chance. He didn't get another chance. And I, I need to correct one more errant Christian theological thing we say all the time. It preaches really well. It sounds good. It's great on a bumper sticker. And we say this. It's never too late with Jesus. Don't we? Don't we say that? It's never too late with Jesus. Except sometimes it's too late with Jesus. You know, at the end of every service, I stand up here every week and I encourage people, stop living your own life in your kingdom. Surrender. Live a life in God's kingdom. Make Jesus your king. Make him your Lord. Make him your savior. And people ignore it. Some people are like, yeah, I think I'll deal with that later. I mean, look, and I understand because I was with you. I grew up going to church and I thought to myself, I know that being a Christian is the right thing to do. I just, grew, I just knew God is God, this is right, I should do this. But I also didn't really want to sign up for some rules just yet in life. So I remember cognitively thinking, I can tell you the number, I said when I am 25, because I thought I'm going to go through high school and have fun. And I'm going to go through college and have more fun. And then you need at least a couple of years out of college till you figure this thing out. So I'm not going to join the army where you can't get back out of this thing, because that's what, you know, being a Christian like joining the army, right? You, you signed up, you're stuck. I'm going to wait till I'm 25. Fortunately, God didn't let me wait till I was 25, but there are people who sit in here every single week and go, yeah, Jimmy, I understand the truth. I'll deal with that later. King Nebuchadnezzar. Or some of you just say, you know what? I think I can do this on my own. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to be a good person. When I get to heaven, I think I'll have the right answer, Belshazzar. People say it's never too late with Jesus. Well, the day after you're dead, it's too late. How about this? You're a father and you surf the internet late at night after you put your kids to bed, but you're struggling with something and you keep looking at websites you know you shouldn't be looking at and God whispers, stop looking at that. Stop looking at that. And he's done it time and time and time again. And you even had a warning. There was that one time where your wife was like, Honey, I don't understand. The internet's got like really clogged up. The computer's not working really well. Like all the programs are frozen. What is it? I don't know, honey. I'll take it down to Best Buy and get it checked out. You had your warning. And you sit back down and got all the junk off the computer. And now you're back surfing the sites again. And God says, stop looking at that. And then your eight-year-old daughter comes down for a glass of water one night. She looks over your shoulder and she sees what's in front of you. And she knows what that is. 
And it is too late to remove that image from her mind of what her father was doing. No, it is not too late for you to repent and to demonstrate that for her and to show her that you're a broken person too and to walk through that. It is not too late for God to redeem, but it is too late for you to remove that from her head. Maybe you're a CPA, you're an accountant, you work in this big firm and you spend all your time writing really big checks for everybody else. The owner gets a lot of money, the CEO gets a lot of money, all these other people, all these bonus checks. You don't ever get anything. They don't appreciate you. You haven't had a raise in three years, so you take it upon yourself. Just a little here, a little there, nobody's ever going to notice. And God comes to you and says, you already know. But just for the fun of it, stop. And if you'll heed the warning, you can go to your boss and say, I'm really sorry I was in a bad place. Here's all the money back. And your boss and his graciousness may allow you to resign quietly and go away and continue your life. You've learned your lesson and you're all the better for it if you will heed the warning of God. But if not, it will be too late when the police are at your office door because your boss found it out three months ago. And they've just been preparing the paper trail. It is too late for you not to go to prison. It is too late for you to ever work in finance again, even though you've got two degrees in it. It is too late for your standard of living that will now be dramatically changed after your prison term. We do like Belshazzar, though we know. We challenge God, and then we pay greatly. Did you catch what God said to him? We're going to have a little grammar class. Do you all know the difference between future and present and past tense? You see, God didn't warn him. God told him what was already done. Though you knew, all, I'm sorry, wrong one. God has numbered. You have been weighed. Your kingdom is divided. It is too late. God has numbered. You have been weighed. Your kingdom is divided. If you don't remember anything I say today, remember this. This is your takeaway. Don't wait until God speaks to you with past tense verbs. Teenagers, please don't wait until God speaks to you with past tense verbs. Don't wait until God speaks to you with past tense verbs. You've got a third choice. End on a happy note. You don't have to be King Nebuchadnezzar. You don't have to be King Belshazzar. You can choose who you will be. You can choose to be Daniel. Daniel, exiled and tested and yet never compromised. We intentionally put all this on one slide so you could take a picture with your phone if you're not one of those people who's used to taking notes. Because this is how you're going to want to model your life right here. Exiled and tested. Every day of his life, he was surrounded by people not honoring his God's ways. Nothing in his nation was going the way it should have gone. He was never going to be allowed to have Sunday morning worship as he knew it ever again, and yet never compromised. And what happened? Promoted greatly. I mean, every chapter we read, Daniel gets a promotion. Just so you know, he got promoted again. He got the purple road. And he got to be the third ruler in the kingdom, even though he said he didn't want it. Which is actually pretty good, because the first guy gets killed that day. So now he's number two. How awesome is that? 
Actually, it's pretty awesome, and we're going to find out why that matters next week. Come back. Humble greatly. That's a risk. You don't know how long God's going to humble you, and you don't know if he's going to bring you out and what it's going to look like. Humbled greatly. That's a choice. Paid greatly. That's a tough choice. Or you can be promoted greatly. Choose who you will be. My prayer for every one of us is that we will choose Daniel because waiting for warnings from God is not wise. Ignoring warnings from God, that's simply foolish. Rejecting the truth we already know, very risky. And challenging God, testing his limits, absolutely stupid. Choose who you will be. I want to close by talking to those people that, well, I've kind of already talked to you this morning. You've heard us talk over communion. You've heard us talk throughout the message about Jesus died for you to give you a life, to give you eternal life with God, to forgive you of all of the imperfections, all of the sins, all of the things that separate you from God. And I want to I implore you, don't be like Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'll think about it later. Don't be like Belshazzar that says, no, nah, I'm, I'm good on my own. But be like Daniel. Do you know why Daniel never compromised? Because Daniel's life was not his own. Remember the kid? Here's Daniel. Daddy says, don't. And Daniel goes, yes, Daddy. And he honored his father his entire life. This might be the moment for you. If you've never surrendered your life, making Jesus your king, I encourage you, don't wait, don't challenge, don't test. Now. Let's respond now. If you've never prayed that prayer to make Jesus your king, I'd like to help you do that right here and now. You don't have to do anything weird or stand up or come down front. We're going to pray right where we're seated. Would you all just join me and pray something like this to yourself and the God? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love, your mercy, for your forgiveness. I thank you for the truth that I already know and the gentle reminder here today to make you my king. I thank you for dying a death that I deserve so that I may have life. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.